We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast, powered by Campus Insiders, with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp! Oh, now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Welcome back, Gator Nation. My name is Alan Williams. I'm live here in Studio A. And over in Studio B, we got my co-host James DiVirgilio on location in Sarasota. How are you doing, James? I'm doing well. It's good to be back podcasting after a three-week break. Yeah, Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy New Year's, all that kind of stuff. So it's been an eventful few weeks here for the Gators, despite not any games being played. James, why don't we uh, do a little rundown of all that's been happening? Yeah, let's start with the quarterbacks. That seems to be the biggest news, and quarterback is the most important position. We'll just give you the news here. Let's just go through what happened. Obviously, chose not to come to the University of Florida. He never decommitted from Georgia, so he stayed true to where he was. Kirby Smart's there. Alan, do you think that was a good decision for Eason, given that most of what we heard was that Mark Rick had a lot of pull, and it was a big reason why he was going to Georgia? I think it was the best decision for Eason? I felt like it was a strange decision, because the whole time everyone's talking about how he's so career-focused, and he picked the SEC because it's the best league, and he picked Georgia because they run a pro style, and you know, all like very logical choices for someone coming all the way out of Washington. And then Jacob Eason you know, still stays with Georgia despite there being a ton of upheaval. Obviously, Rick fired a first-time head coach, a lot of unknowns about the offensive coordinator. Um, I guess just having been committed that long kind of, you know, kept him wanting to, like, uphold his commitment, which is fine. Uh, just kind of a interesting move by him. What do you think? Yeah, I think it may have been one of those things where he got comfortable as a sophomore in high school and he committed there a year and a half, two years ago, and then just kind of rode that out because it was probably a big, scary thing to make a switch. Certainly when he made the decision, 
another guy in quarterback chaos 2015, Will Greer, had announced that he was staying. So the timeline was such that Eason says he's not coming. So Eason's under the impression that Greer's going to be there because that Friday, Greer is announced he's coming back. He'll start with the team on the 5th. So possibly that influenced Eason to where he thought Greer was still in the fold. If he wasn't in the fold and Greer wasn't there, you know, that would be even tougher because Easton would have to think that he really have a shot at it. But to me, it felt like a comfortable decision. I can't fault a high school kid who's been thinking about it for two years to sort of pull the plug on a win. But it would have been nice to have him in the fold to enhance the competition. The guy we do have who stuck with us, even though people were kind of worried that he might waver when, when again, this stuff was going on with Felipe Franks. And he's on board, Felipe, you know, four-star guy. He's kind of known as a as a raw guy. He's a developmental guy. A lot of people think he wants to redshirt, and we'll talk a little bit about how he fits into the quarterback competition in a second. But really that allows us to have Felipe Franks. We don't have Jacob Eason. We're still in on Dwayne Haskins, who's a Maryland commit uh, for the, the 2016 class as well. And I believe, Alan, that includes our – major quarterback recruits. And then lastly, we have Kyle Trask who's coming in as well. So that was, that's going to give us a a quarterback competition of sorts. But before we talk about the upcoming competition, we obviously have to talk about the Will Bear situation. What, what went down, Alan? Do you think there's a lot of conspiracy theories? I mean, what happened? Take us through what changed and then maybe take us through what your thoughts are on, on Will Greer in general. Well, here's the confusing thing for everybody is I don't, know that anybody knows exactly what happened at least nobody who's talking publicly uh very strange timeline you know he kind of comes back meets with the coaches seemingly probably because they want to let him know it's like hey we're recruit we're pursuing all these guys but you're still our guy kind of thing you know make McElwain, which doesn't have to do makes an announcement that will's rejoining the team and will be back with the team right after the bowl game and then you know curiously he announces that he's transferring now this creates a lot of issues for will i think this is a very curious move um because if he transfers to another fbs school division one school he's gonna have to sit out a year and still serve his six game suspension after that so it'd be a year and a half before he could see the field i mean there's so much unknowns and so many things that could happen in a year and a half at any place he might go to uh, if he went to the junior college route i guess he could serve his six game suspension and then you know, play out the string there, but I don't know really what to make of it, James. Uh, how are you feeling about the whole thing? Yeah, I think it's a really illogical decision. I think it was made, and this goes along with a lot of what we said in the podcast all this year, was sort of our guessing at maybe what's going on based upon the decisions people are making. But I've kind of suggested that I felt like Will was more or less steered a lot by his dad. And this is just, a, again, a general theory here based upon decision-making. But it certainly feels like you have a young man who gets hit with a cheating scandal. He sort of quickly admits fault and says it was an innocent mistake. He then loses his appeal. He then finds himself away from the program. There's a lot of rumors about what he did during this time. We know that he was not with the team, but there's rumors of painkiller addiction and cocaine use and him all over the map. And no one knows what really happened, but we know that he wasn't with the team. So then we get this sort of silver lining that, hey, he's coming back to the team on January 5th amidst a whole bunch of transfer rumors. And you're thinking, hey, this is great. We posted on our Facebook page. This is fantastic news. We have a guy that's going to be there. 
And there's a lot of scenarios we can now talk about going into next year in the middle of the year that will work for us. Then five more days go by, oh, wait, Will's going to transfer. And to me, it just feels like a guy who's walking around campus. He kind of maybe feels like he's living in a nightmare right now. And if his dad has as much of a presence in his life as I think he does, it's very possible that, that Will's at a stage in his life where he's just not ready to be able to face the mistake that he's made and walk around on the same campus where it happened. Maybe the memories are too fresh. Things are too raw. I don't know. For me, I would just blanket that as sort of garbage. I prefer people to have a level of individual responsibility where they want to take ownership for what's going on, for where Will gets up to the microphone and says, I'm going to atone for what I did. I let my team down. I let myself down. I'm going to be back. I'm going to restore myself at the University of Florida. I'll be ready to play in whatever capacity in the year 2016. That's what I would have liked to have seen. None of that happened, and the biggest head-scratcher of all is what you just said, is it doesn't make any sense to transfer because he's leaving a school where his coach supported him from what we can see entirely. His coach knows what he can do, and he had tremendous success there. Will was the number one rated SEC quarterback in completion rate and touchdown-to-interception ratio when he left due to a suspension in the SEC as a redshirt freshman. So you put all those factors together, it seems illogical, it seems emotional, it seems like he's trying to run away from his problems and get a quote-unquote fresh start somewhere else. The guy's got a ton of talent. It will be very interesting to see what happens when he and if he gets another shot somewhere. Uh, it, nothing is low, low-hanging low fruit for him right now. There's not an obvious path. So to me, it's just a, it's the end of a really baffling chapter in Florida football quarterback history. And it just leaves you scratching your head because we had said on the show, right? The problem is solved. We have a quarterback and here we are right back into the same stuff we've been in since 09, where who is our quarterback and do we have a good one? I think this is always going to be one of the big what ifs for Gator nation right up there with, you know, what if Cam Newton doesn't throw a laptop out the window what if Urban Meyer is able to keep it under control, you know, in terms of his health and how he deals with things? What if Wilger doesn't get tested, you know? Um, how does this season work out? I mean, this is a one of those things potentially alters directions of, you know, hundreds of people from Jim McElwain to all these other players. And one of those crazy twists and turns of sports is why we stay, you know, interested in them because you never know what's going to happen. But I mean, you're right. Uh, in one sense, it does clear the decks a little bit. There won't be the shadow of Wilger hanging over everything in the beginning of the season and talking about when, how's it going to be when he comes back? Is he going to win the job? That would be such a soap opera. So in that sense, it's, it's a little more clarity, but you're still kind of back in a place where you, you don't have a quarterback and, and in football in the modern day, if you don't have a quarterback, you don't really have anything uh, as we saw. Um, That's true. Yeah, as, as we as we have painfully witnessed. <laughs> so, so with that, Alan, let's talk about the spring quarterback competition. It will be one that's very closely followed. We have a bunch of early enrollees. Who who do you think wins the job? If you're betting on it right now, without seeing anyone play uh, in a Gator uniform, and who are who are the guys that will be competing for it? So, I guess the principal players here are, um, you know, Treon Harris, of course. Uh, assuming he stays at Florida and stays as a quarterback. Um, the aforementioned Felipe Franks, a big-time recruit, a really big get for this staff, You know, flipping him from LSU. Kyle Trask, a guy with 
seemingly some talent, but not a very big like recruiting ranking. Um, Jacob Guy, I guess, has to be mentioned, although if he didn't play this year, I don't know when he would ever play. And then the last guy in this mix is Luke Del Rio, an interesting guy, a former walk-on at Alabama, then transferred to Oregon State. Then he left when Mike Riley left and has been you know, kind of sitting out this year for NCAA rules uh, for transfers. And so uh, that's an interesting mix. I, I think from what people say inside the organization, the rumors that you hear, and this is all just rumors, is that Luke Del Rio has to be the favorite to win the job. We've seen what Treon can do. He's an, just an utter train wreck out there. Uh, as you said, Felipe Franks, while well, a ton of talent, all the tools that you want, he still has a lot to learn, and Kyle Trask, you know, not a very highly regarded, you know, prospect at least at this point. Although, you know, that's obviously an inexact science. So it seems like Luke Del Rio would be it would have been the perfect transition to Will Greer. You know, plays well enough, but not too well. But hopefully, he can even up his game. There's people who thought he was the best guy um, in camp at certain points. So uh, that seems to be the favorite right now. I I would at this point be surprised if it wasn't him based on what people say about him. Yeah, based on what we're hearing, everyone seems to be talking about how great Luke Del Rio is. And, of course, he's the son of Jack Del Rio, the current Oakland Raiders coach and former Jaguars coach. But Ty hasn't really played very many plays in, in college. He, no. he was the number one ranked pocket passer in Colorado. I think he was like 27th overall in the country. He's got a decent frame. Uh, apparently he's got a pretty live arm. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that without seeing anyone play, given the level of experience he's had with a full year at Alabama, a full year at Oregon State, a full year sitting out and learning the system, it should be his job to lose now that he's eligible because everyone else is starting at zero, and he's not. He's starting way ahead of the game. So he would have to be rather uh, just really – for lack of a better term, rather incompetent at running the offense to lose the job in the spring. I think by the time the end of fall comes around, that could be a different story because then you get these early enrollees that have had eight months in the system. But by the end of the spring, if he's not kind of the lead dog, then he really has not spent his time well here in Gainesville learning the system all year. And, um, you know, like we said, who knows really? That seems to be the obvious place to, like, kind of land on and when you're handicapping this race – but I, I don't know. I, I think you mentioned him being incompetent. I think Florida fans would take competent at this point. Like, if you can run McIlwain's offense competently, I think that would be a big win for this program moving forward until we can maybe get someone like Felipe Franks up to speed or whoever the next big QB prospect is to come along. So that's going to be interesting supply. And, you know, <laughs> it's going to be difficult for everyone reading the tea leaves coming out of spring. Uh, we'll talk about this a lot you know, uh, coming up here in the next couple months. But, you know, McElwain was very coy about Will Greer versus Treon because he probably felt like he had to be. So we don't ever really know what we're going to get out of uh, Coach Mack on that front. Yeah, we won't. And the good news is you just want you just want a lot of competition. And so we've got a scenario where we've got three, maybe four guys, if you throw a wild card in there, that are competing for the job. And I would like to say this is probably going to be the last time under McIlwain's tenure, this being the upcoming game against Michigan, that we have to deal with a quarterback that's really ill-suited to play in his system. I think any one of these guys will be at least an average quarterback because McIlwain's career has been that way with 
with no matter what he's had to work with the quarterback. So the good news is we've got competition. We will probably find a guy that can at least run the offense. Maybe it won't be the guy. Maybe it won't be a guy at Will's level just yet, but it will be a guy that can that can pull the strings and make things go. All right, James, let's play a little game here. Another another news in Gator Nation is people declaring early for the draft. Of course, we're going to lose some of our stars like John Bullard and Antonio Morrison and you know, actually not too many seniors leaving. But there's a lot of guys either declaring that they are going to go for the draft or that they're staying. Let's do a little rundown here. I'm going to ask you good decision or bad decision for each of these guys. Um, let's start with maybe the most obvious one. VH3, Vernon Hargraves the third. Good decision or bad decision there? Good decision for every possible self-explanatory reason. When you're that high of a pick, you're the number one corner coming out of college. You go. You know, he's done his he's done his work here at UF. It's been great watching him, and it's it's definitely time for him to head on to the NFL. All right, let's move next uh, with the maybe star on offense this year, Kelvin Taylor. Kelvin Taylor, it's a good decision, but this is the logic for this is probably different. I, I could be wrong. I don't think that Kelvin Taylor has what it takes to play in the NFL. He seems to lack the burst, maybe even the size. Uh, he's, he's undersized. He's, he's not quite as fast as you want to be. However, he does have tremendous vision. He cuts really well. Uh, he's got decent hands. So he could maybe find himself a third down backer or one of the guys in the league. I, I don't think he'd stay around for a long time. With that being said, I think it's a good decision because he's he's an older guy for a junior. He's 22 already. Running backs get a lot of mileage on them. I think it's wise for him to go now and not take another year of tackles. He was very dependable, you know, basically never fumbled. This would be the time for him to go. He couldn't do anything else to, to make his stock rise. So based upon that, I think I think it's good. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. I don't know what how the NFL scouts view him, but I don't think it's going to change – I think what he put on tape this year, they're going to like. And things that are going to hold him back are his, you know, some of his measurables, which I don't think he can really change all that much. And like you said, every carry for running back ends up adding up. Um, let's talk about um, one of the more controversial Gators, Demarcus Robinson. What do you think? Oh, man. Where, yeah, what do I think? I <laughs> I think it's it's I don't know I think it's a bad decision but I think it's a bad decision because it just seems like he's not ready to play in the NFL. He seems like a child from the standpoint of his work ethic, his attention to detail, his his ability to play the game at a high level. And there's no room for receivers in the NFL to act like children unless they're absolutely incredible. That's the only way you can get away with that. Is you're one of the best three receivers in the league that he will not be. So is he able to go into the league and win a job based upon his incredible hard work, determination, being a great teammate, and doing whatever it takes? Seems really unlikely. Seems like he's going to ride in there thinking he's one of the most talented guys who played in the team with a bad offense, and he'll just beat people. So for me, bad decision. I think he would have been in better shape to spend another year working on his crafts, listening to the coaches, ironing out his weaknesses, make himself a better player so that when he gets into the meek right of the NFL, he doesn't waste his one bullet with – immaturity yeah i would agree he's kind of the opposite of kelvin taylor in that sense you know great measurables i think he's going to do really well at the combine but when you watch his tape you see a lot of inconsistency and he's a guy who could have really benefited from coming back next year and dominating and being really consistent and i think he could have been a really high pick uh we'll see how he grades out you know sometimes people do fall in love with those measurables i don't know if it'll be off the charts with that but could move him up draft boards from where we think he might be uh one guy who is 
forced to go into the draft because he's been kicked off the team is Alex McAllister. Uh, so not really a decision on his part, but how do you feel about him departing the program like this? You know, <laughs> it's like, it's the same thing with, with D-Rob. It's just, you just scratch your head and you think, we're older, so you have the benefit of time and wisdom. But you say to yourself, you know, Alex McAllister, did you realize what you had in front of you? Did you know the opportunity that you had? No, you didn't. You nonchalantly waved it around and broke team rules and got yourself kicked off the team to where now you have to go into the NFL. Clearly, Alex McAllister has a lot of talent. The guy's got talent. He, he's exceptionally quick. He's got a long frame. He can put on a lot of weight that he hasn't even put on yet necessarily. He may be an intriguing prospect from that aspect, but obviously it's a horrible decision for, for me on him. He should have still been on the team. He should be getting better, spending a year to sell out his frame, make himself as NFL-ready as possible. And in the NFL, the name of the game is becoming the highest round pick you can be because that will allow you to have more chances in the league. It's much, much harder to start as an undrafted free agent or a seventh-round guy and stick around because there's no sort of hype around you. So I can't imagine there's any world where this is like a great thing for Austin Callister. Yeah, I think the story of his time with uh, the Gators will always be kind of like waiting for him to take that next step. You know, it was a project that they took on and, you know, and fulfilled a lot of his potential, but you could just see that he could have been dominant um, if, you know, just maybe a little bit more technique, a little more effort here and there. Uh, a guy I would have liked to have seen come back. Um, two guys that have announced they're staying, uh, Gerard Davis and Caleb Brantley. Thoughts on those guys? I'm super excited. They're both staying. <laughs> but I, mean, I think it was huge, especially for Brantley, for us to say Davis is, is a monster as well, within a linebacker. So whether it's a good decision or bad decision, that's tough. I think for both of those guys, I think they probably can move further up draft boards. You could make an argument that Davis maybe had a peak season this year. Maybe he couldn't get any higher. I think what Davis can do is put two years in the books in a row of really solid play which will improve his draft status. The flip side of that coin is he could put an average year and that could hurt him. But I, I think it seems like for both of these guys, they made the right decision. I think they also made that decision based upon where they found themselves slotted in the draft. I would agree. It seems a, a good choice. I mean, I think both of those guys are draftable players, but they could really make a name for themselves this next year with a really uh, big season. Uh, two guys that could potentially declare still and haven't really said anything either way are actually both of our starting safeties, Marcus May and Keanu Neal. Uh, so I don't know if you can say good decision or bad decision yet, but if you were advising them, which way would you advise them? For Marcus May, and he got first-team All-American, which we should give him credit for. That's fantastic. On the show, he certainly got a fair share of criticism with regards to his pass coverage. He became the first-team All-American because he's an incredible run-stopper, which we've talked about at length. We've said in the beginning of the year, the guy's an NFL run-stopper. He really, really is. He, in my opinion, has below-average ball skills. And in the NFL, they're not just going to employ you as a strong safety because you tackle well against the run. You have to be able to at least adequately cover. So for May, I'd like to see him stay. I'd like to see him focus on the weakness in his game. If Marcus May allows himself to become a better ball guy, better ball skill guy, better reader of routes, he will be a complete strong safety. He'll play in the league for 10 years. Uh, on the flip side with Neil, I think Neil is ready to go to the NFL. Uh, that guy, I think he's a fantastic safety. I think he makes very good reads. I think he's an excellent tackler. He's probably a little bit slower than you would want when you think about NFL cover schemes and asking him to play like a high cover one or something where he's covering the whole field. But 
I think the story with him again is like what you mentioned with Davis. I think Neil can come back and have another great year like he had this year and up his status. Um, so for both of those guys, I think that it's a good decision for them to stay. However, if Neil left, I would not say that's a bad decision. Neil, in my opinion, is much more NFL ready than Marcus May is solely because Marcus May just has, seems to have a history of really struggling against any sort of what seems to be crucial coverage moment. Yeah. And that's what he's going to be asked to do in the NFL more than anything. I, I would agree with you on May and Neil. Um, hoping that Neil stays, I think that would be a big boost to the defense, you know, getting one of those guys on each level, Brantley, Davis, and May all back, you know, plus our, you know, dynamic set of corners. Okay, well, that's a good amount of news and discussion there about what's happening in, in Gator Nation, guys leaving, guys coming in. Let's go ahead and talk about this game that we have coming up, um, the Citrus Bowl versus Michigan. Uh I think we're both a little conflicted about bowl games in general. Uh, James, let me just go ahead and ask you straight out. Uh, do bowl games matter? No, my opinion is, is no, they don't. They don't matter from a recruiting standpoint. They don't matter from a program building standpoint. They just don't matter anymore. They used to matter a lot 30, 40, 50 years ago. It was a big deal. It is not a big deal in the modern football era. Most recruits are already almost done with their recruiting cycle, and the bowl game means little to them. So if you want to argue that, oh, it's future momentum, I don't buy it. Most of the players in the current roster are already thinking of what's going on next year. So the game itself doesn't matter much to them anyway. Um, and lastly, the coaches, a lot of them use the bowls to get their younger guys sent to practice. So they themselves are kind of signifying it's not a huge deal because a lot of the veteran coaches don't focus on winning these games unless they're in a really high-profile one or it's the first time they haven't been in a big game like this in a while. So from our standpoint this year, does this game matter? It doesn't matter at all to me if we win or lose. Maybe that's crazy. It feels like an exhibition game to me. It doesn't matter. That's my opinion. I, I, I think a lot of the players in bowl games would act like it doesn't matter either. That's my thought. What about you? I would agree. I think you know it depends on the bowl. If you're a team that's really motivated um, by you know, maybe you're playing up in competition or you, know, you got something to prove, I think those those games can be interesting. In general, I think bowl games are just, should just be fun. You know, they are an exhibition. I agree with everything you said. Uh, you know, <laughs> doesn't seem it's like this extra game. The season's over. It's you know, it should be like a vacation for the players. You know, and it, it's interesting with with these guys too. You know, um, there's often a question of you know motivation with these guys too, uh, you know, like are, are, do they really care? You know, I think they care on game day, you know, even just people who are competitive to put them in any kind of situation. They're going to try to win, but is, you know, were they caring these last three weeks, um, you know, when they should have been working out or watching their weight or whatever. And then <laughs> that's going to show up on game day if you didn't put in the effort. Uh, but in general, I think, you know, it's not that big a deal to these guys, but you know, the important thing for coaches is to make a bowl and something to put on your resume, but also it allows you to have those extra few weeks of practices. And if you don't make the bowl game, you're not allotted those, um, which people might not know that NCAA regulates um, number of practice hours very tightly. So in that sense, it is very important. You get to all those extra practices, you get an extra game you know, preparation. But in terms of who wins and who loses, I don't put a lot of stock in that. Um, it's usually a question of motivation. Um, and, and even for fan bases, it's, you know, some fan bases love them. Some fan bases don't probably depends on where you're from and, and where you're going. 
Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that, actually. Just just yesterday in Sarasota, Muncie, Beach, playing some beach volleyball. And towards the end of the day, um, a couple of, you know, five or six guys come over and, and they see that I have a Florida visor on. They say, hey, are you going to the game? And I said, absolutely not. I'm on a, I'm on a tree on top. And they looked at me with very puzzled looks in their faces. And so I said, okay, these guys obviously must, <laughs> must not really know anything about the Gators. But that's our quarterback, and he's really terrible. And unfortunately, it's hard to watch the Gators right now. And they said, oh, well, we're Michigan fans. And we are down here uh, hanging out for, the, for a week and a half, and we thought we'd go to the game, but we figured it's so close to Gainesville that it would just be impossible to get a ticket. And I said, <laughs> well, actually, probably quite to the contrary. I think there's a high level of apathy right now amongst Gator fans. They're not very excited to be in the Capital One Bowl, the Citrus Bowl, the any other Florida Bowl you want to name in the state of Florida that we happen to be in uh, on an annual basis that we don't make a Sugar Bowl or a BCS Bowl especially this year, given the fall off the map quarterback play, that you'll probably be able to take it very easily. And it, it was a funny little moment. We kind of went back and forth for five minutes just exchanging stories. And, and it was one of those issues which I think actually illustrates this bowl game nicely. Michigan has a ton of motivation to be in this game. They're playing in SEC school. They've got their shiny new toy in, in Coach Harbaugh. They want to prove themselves. They come down to Florida where the weather's warm. They're hanging out at the beach. Everybody's really excited about it. And then on the other side of the coin, you have Florida fans who, you and I who do a podcast, I am just like, I don't even want to watch the game. I can care less what happens. And I, I'm certainly on the further end of that. I think other Florida fans would probably get more excited about bowl games than I do. But the average Florida fan, not a ton is going into it. So like you said, I think the motivation theory is a great way to pick bowl games. I think it's one reason why we're going to have a big challenge in this game is I think the Michigan players will be really motivated to play this game, whereas our players, good luck motivating them. I think the locker room knows that we have absolutely no quarterback play that's sufficient. They've given their all in games that mattered, haven't got the result they needed. I think their eyes on future things. So with that being said, what would be an encouraging display for you in the game itself? What would you see and say, that's encouraging, I'm glad that happened, given the circumstances that we're playing this game under? This is a difficult one to talk about because you're you're not going to really look at the offense because it's going to be completely different, hopefully, with someone else under center. Uh, I would like to see some of our younger guys, um, maybe different guys at receiver, guys at running back. You know, people really encouraged last year with Adam Lane's play uh, in the bowl game, and then he promptly transferred. But I would love to see Cronkite and Scarlett look good, maybe some of our other freshmen receivers or – um, the offensive line maybe improve after you know some more practices, some more time uh, watching film and things like that. Uh, so the defense, I don't know what to expect from them. Uh, a lot of those guys are on their way out, or you know maybe not thinking that they want to like go hardcore <laughs> into this game. And Michigan does play defense well, uh, so if we were to move the ball against them, I think that would be an encouraging sign. What about you? Oof, man, <laughs> because I don't put a lot of stock in, in this game, I, I don't know if anything would be encouraging or even discouraging at this point in time. I guess it would be encouraging if we came up there and won the game and played really well because that would mean that the team improved during the three weeks of practice they had. But really, like we said, there's going to be a lot of changeover. So you know what, you know what I'll pull out? I'll, I'll pull this out. If the offensive line blocks effectively um, – in a, in a way that is, is improving. The younger guys in the line do better. That would be encouraging. 
I think we've seen that from them at times. I think we've also seen some schizophrenic play. So having three weeks of, of uninterrupted practice to kind of clean up some of the issues from the year, if they came in and did a nice job, create some, some running lanes, did those sort of things, that would be a nice touch. But outside of that, I really expect this team to be very similar to all the ones we played with Treon Harris at quarterback. So maybe Treon coming out and slinging the ball over the field would be shocking and I guess encouraging in a weird way, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't have a great feel about the situation. It seems like we are where we are, and there's nothing magical that's going to happen. But that's yeah, do sort you have of any impressions of Michigan itself? I mean, what what are you expecting out of them? Do you think that they offer much of a challenge to maybe a maybe? Oh yeah, yeah. I think Michigan is a really bad matchup for us. I think at first, let's talk about very quickly what they've done. Harbaugh was my number one pick as coach. As we've said before in the beginning of the season, it's fun that we kind of get to end with him now. It's like a sweet little bookend. But they were 112th in offense last year, and they're 56th this year. It's a huge improvement. Uh, they're 27th in defense last year. They're 11th in defense this year. Um, so significant, significant improvement on both sides of the ball. They're 9-3 and this year. They're 5-7 and last year. They really should have been 10-2 and this year with that ridiculous loss against Michigan State who is now in the college football playoffs. So Michigan could have potentially been there. Let's not forget that either. So really an incredible year for Michigan. They have less talent than we do. They have a much slower defense than we do. They've achieved a lot of really good things. Uh, So impressive. And I think they're really bad matchup for us because their weakness on defense is lateral speed, and we cannot test that even remotely at all. So we're not going to be able to line up and just pound them in the face. We're not going to be able to do maybe some of the things we could do against weaker teams like South Carolina. On the flip side of the coin, their offense is pretty average. It has a hard time moving the ball against the more elite defenses. So I think if our defense comes out to play, uh, it, they'll, they'll get a chance to, to keep the game close for a while. So it poses a challenge for the players, which is a good thing. And I think the players going up against Harbaugh is a, a, a certainly a massive figure in college football. Probably a little bit of inspiration there to go against the guy they've seen coach Super Bowls. They've seen him on TV. They've seen him in commercials. There's probably a little bit of excitement to go against some of his guys, uh, vis-a-vis that that sort of situation. What What do you think about Michigan? Yeah, I, you know, I think our players will be a little motivated. They are, Michigan is a brand name program, if I can use that. Uh, you know, I they feel very similar to us. Some of the narratives are the same. You know, I think a first year coach overachieving a little bit, a few bumps in the road has an offense that's not going to be where it is in two years in terms of like its production. I think in both defenses, maybe even exceeding expectations. So I, I think they're better at quarterback. So I think that's probably going to be the story of the game. Unless our defense just creates a ton of havoc. And so that feels like the same narrative over and over again the last few weeks. Unless the defense does something really dramatic, we're not going to win. And I don't know, you know, you never, I mean, fumbles are unpredictable. Interceptions are unpredictable. So I, I think we have a chance to win. I think those guys will be motivated on game day. It's just, you know, if they get down, I don't know how much fight they have to, like, claw back in because, you know, like we, we've talked so much in the last few minutes, it's, the game doesn't really mean that much overall. Um, but let me go ahead and, as per our custom, let me ask you for a prediction, though. <laughs> I was hoping you weren't going to do that. Uh, we're going to need some sort of special team score defensive situation against Michigan, which I think we might get. So I'm going to say we get 10, and I think they'll get 16. And I want to step back 20 seconds to go to what you just said, that if our players lack motivation, 
after playing hard for the first half or so, the game could, could go a little more outside of that because Michigan is a power team. They can put it to you if they sense your will weakening. I like, I'm going to go 16-10 with the caveat that this game could easily be like 31-10 or some sort of runaway because they just start pounding the ball in their face and, and we're sort of not offering resistance because we just have guys who are elsewhere. Uh, and I would not hold that against any coaching staff. I just think it's outside of their control at this stage. So I'm going to go 16-10. What do you got? Yeah, I was going to go um, probably a little bit more towards that direction of them putting on some points late. I was going to go 24-13. So, again, we're kind of on the same page with this. It could get ugly. I, I, I also think there's you know a story here where we blow them out because we're just a little more talented than they are, especially on defense. And they, you know, their quarterback, Jake Rudock, can't handle you know our corners and those guys are looking to impress and you know we end up with some you know turnovers and so i don't know that but i would say michigan i i would think they're gonna win they'll just be able to put up a few more points and i don't i don't know that our defense is going to dig in and play the way that they're capable of playing without very much on the line well uh, yeah that's exactly the vegas the vegas there's a little fun vegas nugget so a lot of the mathematical prediction sites like they use pie rating and several other things to calculate the winners and losers really like us in this game. They really like us. And I think that illustrates a flaw of using an entire season of stats to make predictions. I just want to make that caveat because it's kind of a fun note that a lot of those systems use entire season stats to make predictions, which to me is the absolute silliest thing in the world because sports is all about matchups in the moment. And um, anyway, I think as a Florida fan to me, I'm like, Oh, 85% chance Michigan beats us. And that's not because Michigan's incredible. It's because we're futile, but Vegas, on the other hand, Michigan's favored by four, but the betting public and a lot of the systems think that's a great line for Florida. Florida should absolutely be a strong bet to cover that, which I find find kind of just humorous, I guess. It doesn't mean we couldn't do it, but anyway, fun side note on sort of how some of those things work. Yeah, and with a with a capable quarterback, I think we, we'd actually be a really bad matchup for them. It would swing the other way. And so that's Agreed. really where you know the, every, the fulcrum is everything on the quarterback play in this game. Um, so let's Agreed. get a Another viewpoint of this game, somebody who's played in a lot of bowl games. Uh, let's go ahead and bring on our Michigan guest. Let's welcome to the show David Boss, University of Michigan, All-American, uh, my friend from high school, Riverview High School in Sarasota, Florida, and Super Bowl winning center for the New York Giants, had a long NFL career. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, what are your thoughts? Let's just get right to it here. You had the coach that I wanted, and I knew he was never going to come to Florida. But what are your thoughts on Coach Harbaugh and the state of the Michigan program as it is right now? Well, we have the coach that everybody wanted, apparently. Uh, this guy <laughs> is, I mean, uh, he's got the the charismatic way to, uh, you know, turn turn things around no matter where he goes. And I'm really happy with um, with what he's done. I mean, obviously he built a a really good staff and kept, kept around guys that he thought would be beneficial to the team. And, uh, you know, he, he just keeps plugging away. I mean, it's pretty impressive when you can, you know, go after, um, I think it's Don Brown, the guy from BC and snag him up. I mean, he only, you know, had the number one defense in college last year and with eight different categories and he's able to snag him. I mean, he's definitely got some star power up there and he's pulling in, you know, a bunch of top recruits, and he's definitely getting uh, getting ready to make a run at it here, you know, um, next year or the following year. I'm not for sure. You know, you can't predict these things, but uh, we're really excited at what he's doing. 
And so you got to play uh, in several bowl games as a player. What are your memories from that time? Um, what stands out to you still today? Yeah, I mean, we played, or, you know, played in the Citrus Bowl and had a good time there and played, you know, the Gators back in the day. I believe it was, I'm trying to think, maybe 2002 um, and, uh, you know, won that game. So I'm pretty sure Michigan played them again and won that game too. So just, you know, there's a pattern there. But, uh, <laughs> you know, my wife is a Gator, so... Florida is actually my second team, and I like to, you know, keep up with them. And obviously, living down here in Florida, there's tons of Gator fans. So um, I think it's going to be a a good match match up there. And uh, you know, the the thing that Michigan's got though is they really need this too. With all those big time recruits coming in, they need a game like this because you know, down in the South, everybody you know wants to talk about the SEC. Well. You know, people are starting to talk about the Big Ten more, and I think this is a a nice statement for them. Even though, you know, Florida's ran into uh, some issues with some of their their players lately. And so, uh, a topic that we talked about earlier in the show today, and I and I actually really enjoy talking about all the time. I think your thoughts will be pertinent and rather perfect to have on this show. Bowl games as a player. What's the motivation like to play in them? Do they matter to most players? Do they matter to you each and every year? Or was it circumstantial based upon where your record was and how the season went? You know, um, obviously things have changed with the the new playoff system. And, you know, being as it was, you know, Michigan would always, you know, we always had the Rose Bowl in mind because that was the, you know, the biggest Big Ten game that you could make. And uh, so bowl games were always a uh, a big thing. I mean, it's a fun time as a college player. I mean, especially I can see, like, I know there's way too many bowl games. But some of these, you know, some of these schools that finally get an opportunity to go to a bowl game, it's uh, it's actually pretty cool to to see them do, you know, do that. But, I mean, for us, as a bigger program, you know, you want to make one of the bigger ones and you want to, end your ranking at the end of the year with something to, you know, something to show. And obviously it helps in recruiting also, but, um, you know, some bowl games are more fun than the others and, you know, but, uh, we always enjoyed coming down to, down to Florida. And I think uh, this one will be pretty cool for the guys. They've redone that whole, that whole stadium up there. So they've made it better, but, um, bowl games are just, uh, all around good, fun experience well let's say you're someone who's graduating and you know you played one i assume after uh your time there at michigan was ending uh and you're you're thinking about maybe the nfl and if you know how hard am i really going to push it here is there any of that going on with guys who are headed to the league you know i don't think so i think you kind of um when you get into a bowl game, you get to play other. It's kind of a nice thing because you get to play teams from other conferences, and usually, you know, the Big Tens match up with the SEC. So sometimes it's almost uh, a nice way to, you know, kind of basically put your talent out there against, you know, some of these other guys that, you know, you never see in your in your conference or your non-conference schedule. So that's kind of kind of nice to do that, and you know, I don't think you ever want to 
not play because of that and let you know your teammates down. I mean, at least coming from a program like Michigan and myself, I would never want to worry about you know that stuff because that happens. That's part of the game. It's going to happen. It is what it is, you know. But I know guys nowadays probably think about it more. But you know, I I know coaches will probably move around players too, and I mean it's a nice chance for them to kind of see you know, who can play different positions if they, you know, have the opportunity. So, but the ultimate goal is to win. So it's, I feel like they would never put the players in a position not to win, but I'm sure they'll have a chance to try out some other people at different positions possibly. And switching gears for a second to get a broad scope question in, you won the Super Bowl, you started at center. What was the level of intensity like? playing in the Super Bowl versus playing in a rivalry game against Ohio State or the biggest bowl game or whatever you would consider to be the biggest college game you played in, difference of intensity between those two? I mean, I always enjoyed the the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry. Um, but when you get to the next level, there's nothing like it. Um, you know, and obviously there's people that come out there and talk and say, oh, well, this, you know, this team could have – beat an NFL team. No, they can't. Uh, it's It just doesn't happen. And it's uh, it's amazing. The first time I got to the 49ers, there was a guy named Isaac uh, Sopawanga who, you know, during one-on-one pass rush, you know, I, I was coming out of Michigan, thought it was, you know, pretty big stuff. And he picked me up off my feet and basically threw me back to where the quarterback would have been. I'm I'm just sitting there for a minute. I'm like, wow, you know, this is this is the elite of the elite. Like everybody's pretty much on the same level. There's no, you know, way down here and way up here. I mean, you you have to bring your A game every single time, or you're gonna fail. And um, it's just another level. I mean, and the intensity and the speed of the game, it's just different. You can't even explain it. But. Um, it's still fun to have all the other stuff in college, but it doesn't compare. Yeah, that's amazing. So when you're lining up and you're taking the first snap at center in the Super Bowl, are your nerves through the roof? You haven't snapped yet? You haven't gotten into the game flow? Or, or are you just sort of doing your job and you're in the moment? Yeah, we we treated it as a as a business trip. And, you know, I'm, I mean, a lot of guys went out and, you know, did, did their thing during the week, you know, um, Man, I ended up bringing my my kids, well, my boys at the time, you know, into the film room with me at night. I had to watch watch film, and I did everything I could to uh, have myself ready. So when I got out on the field, I mean, literally, there's tons of excitement, tons of different things going on, and you're just trying to keep it as regular as possible and go about your business. And just trust what you've seen on film, trust what you've shot on the other team, and just make it, like you said, as a as normal as possible. I bet it's one of the interesting things about about football in general now is it's become such a mental sport. And the other guys we've talked to this year that have played in the NFL and played in huge games have all said pretty much the same thing that you said. And I'm sure if we had more time, we'd go down those paths about just what a mental game the NFL is with regards to knowing your opponent and having them know you and then playing off tendencies. So... With that prediction coming into the game this week, Michigan versus Florida, of course, they had plenty of time to scout each other. Florida certainly has tremendous weakness on offense. Michigan 
a better offense, but not one that's lighting up scoreboards. Maybe the personnel in Florida is a little better, but you know, Vegas thinks it's going to be close. What do you think? What are your thoughts for the game? Uh, you know, I think um, I think the offense is going to you know find their find their spark, and you know, I know there's been some movement around with DJ Durkin leaving, and you know, you got some, but I mean, Morrison's there to kind of keep things the same and run that defense, and I think that it's going to be my prediction. I don't know the exact score, but I think Michigan will get them by two scores. Okay, two scores. Do you think 14 or so is what it's going to be? Yeah, 10, 10 or 14, I think. Okay, okay. That seems that seems to be right where Alan and I were on our uh, our predictions as well. There's not a lot of Michigan winning. There's not, not a lot of tremendous faith on, uh, on this side of the ball. Well, David, thanks. Thanks for joining us on the show. It's always great to talk with you. Thanks for the insight on your playing experiences and on Michigan, and we wish you a, a happy new year as you head into 2016. Well, thank you. You guys, too. Appreciate it. All right, let's close out this episode with a little college football playoff talk. I know I'm excited about it, James. Are you looking forward to these games? I certainly am. There should be some really interesting matchups uh, across the board. Let's start first by looking at the Clemson and Oklahoma matchup. So you get big game Bob, a guy that I used to just really think couldn't lose a big game. And somewhere in the mid-2000s, couldn't win a big game. Uh, So you have a big game Bob resurgence against a very young, full of vigor and cockiness, Dabo Sweeney, who maybe thinks he's better than he is. I don't really know, but he's riding high. So you have an interesting coaching matchup. You have Baker Mayfield. And then Deshaun Watson, so you have two very different quarterbacks that have had really successful seasons. You have two teams that are brimming with confidence right now. Um, Clemson certainly seems to be more untested than Oklahoma at this point in time, but it's not like Oklahoma's faced a lot of tests. And Oklahoma's lost to a, a really bad Texas team in a really bad way. So Vegas seems to think that Oklahoma is actually the favorite in this game, even though it's one seed versus four seed. Most of the money is on Oklahoma. The spread is on Oklahoma. I'm sure that's good ammo for Clemson and Dabo. Um, with the table being set, Alan, what are your thoughts on the game? Who do you think is going to win? Kind of just a layout for me what you're feeling about this matchup. It's interesting because, as you said, um, even though Clemson is undefeated, number one seed, uh, you know, has a couple big victories over Notre Dame and Florida State, uh, most people are leaning towards Oklahoma, and I feel like they think that Oklahoma is a little more explosive. I would feel a little higher ceiling on offense and defense. I don't know. I've swung back and forth. When these got announced, I looked at it and go, Oklahoma, they're going to take them. And as we've gotten closer to the games here, I'm kind of remembering, you know, Clemson, uh, you know, they're kind of a reverse trend here. We used to talk about Clemsoning, and, you know, they just seem to know how to win. And, you know, pretty handily in most games, too. So, I don't know. This one feels like a total coin flip to me. Um, right now, I would have to say Oklahoma, but if you ask me tomorrow, I might say Clemson. That's how I feel about it. What about you? I certainly hope the game goes that way. It's one of those games where I, it gives me this weird feeling that somehow it could be a blowout one way or the other, just because everyone expects it to be exactly what you just said. It feels like a coin flip. My my gut was like strong Oklahoma when the matchup was announced, and so much of that is truly influenced by the history of Clemson and Clemsoning. And I love that you can use that as an adjective or a noun even if you want to on certain occasions, and everyone knows what that means, which is awesome. And... They haven't done it yet. Uh, they've looked mortal at times. 
it seems to me that Oklahoma's a better team, but this is also an Oklahoma blah, blah, blah. Oklahoma team that fell behind to Tennessee 17 nothing. Uh, came back, clawed their way, and got a victory in overtime. It's a team that without Baker Mayfield, they're very pedestrian. But Baker Mayfield seems to be firing on all cylinders right now. And they and have Clemson's improved. defense, I think, can be had. Yeah, they have. They've improved drastically. And Clemson's defense, I think, can be had. And, and there's, a, there's a component to this game that I, does, that I do think matters. And that's that Bob Stoops has coached a lot of these big-time bowl games. And you'll hear first-time Super Bowl coaches and first-time big bowl game coaches mention the hecticness of managing your team on a schedule like this. It's a ton of media events. It's a ton of scrutiny. It's a, it's a very different situation with regards to flight time, turnaround, scouting. It just feels very different. And I think with Clemson, the fever pitch around that program right now, just the intensity with which the fans are craving this moment, puts a lot of demands on Dabo's time that probably aren't on Bob Stoops' time because Oklahoma is quote-unquote used to this. Maybe it seems silly to take it that level, but I do think that factors into what's going on. So part of me says the better quarterback, in my opinion, is Oklahoma. I think the defenses and the offenses are, are rather similar if you want to look at stats there. Um, they're both athletic teams. They're both comfortable playing their own style of game here. It definitely seems to be a game where turnovers will dictate who wins or loses, uh, which means it should be a close game, but it also means that if one team gives up a couple three or four turnovers, which can happen in these bowl games, it can get out of hand. So I like Oklahoma here. I like them because they're the better quarterback. I think in these playoff games, I think you're going to start to see what we saw last year, which is that Cardale Jones was on a monster run along with Ezekiel Elliott, and that's why they won the national title. And I think as these playoffs grow and expand, you will continue to see quarterbacks dictating what's going on. So I like Oklahoma in this game against Clemson. Um, switching then to the Bama-Michigan State matchup, this one heavily favors Bama. Vegas thinks so. The betting community thinks so. It's almost like Michigan State does not have a chance, according to a lot of what's going on. Double-digit underdogs in a lot of scenarios. How do you see this one shaking out? And does Michigan State have a chance of winning? They do have a chance. I think the reason that they're such a underdog is that, you know, they're a lesser version of Bama in some people's eyes. You know, they, they're built roughly the same with a really stingy defense and a power running game. Um, you know, I, I think with Bama, they're a little susceptible um, to being beat through the air which is if you're Michigan State, not really what you're designed to do. But you do have a guy in Connor Cook, if he's healthy, that could do that. So I think Cook is the X factor. If he comes out and has an all-world kind of game, they can win. Otherwise, I don't think that they can. I don't. They don't do anything that really scares Bama for the most part on offense or defense. I think Michigan State is extremely solid, and they won't, for the most part, beat themselves. But I don't know that they're... Uh, ready to you know match up man for man with Bama and play them in the exact same style. Uh, usually Bama loses to some team that's doing something very outside their comfort zone. So I don't think that's the reason Michigan State feels like such a big underdog because they're just a lesser version of Bama and trying to beat them doing the same thing feels like an insurmountable goal. What about you? Yeah, I think that perception is right. And I think that this is like a, a big-time rallying cry game for the Big Ten. They've long felt like they're in the shadow of the SEC. They had their moment last year when Ohio State sort of stole a national title in a funky way with maybe getting a third-string quarterback no one had seen who did things much differently than, than Urban would normally do, and that's really the vertical passing game that's sort of allowed them to kind of sneak in and maybe steal a title. Uh, they, they, they deserved it. They earned it. But kind of a unique circumstance there. 
So this year, the Big Ten fans are kind of thinking, look, maybe these SEC fans are overhyping Alabama. People have watched Alabama play. They don't look like they're going to blow the doors off of you. Alabama's like the bow constrictor that just kind of squeezes you slowly until you break, and that could be the second quarter, third quarter, or late fourth quarter, but they generally squeeze the life out of you at some point in time. So I'm with you, and the Michigan State has some pieces that they, they feel like they could probably make this happen. I think what's really hurtful to Michigan State's case is that they should have lost to Michigan. And Michigan is, without a doubt, an inferior version of Alabama. And I think that's what hurts a lot of people, is they say, well, wait a minute, if Michigan State lined up with Michigan and really should have lost that game, there's no doubt that Alabama's a better version of Michigan right now. How is Michigan State going to kind of overcome that hurdle? Not to mention you've got Nick Saban, who's a professional playoff, quote-unquote, game specialist, whether it be the BTS championship games or these playoff games, to where he's very used to this moment, his team is used to this moment, he's going to have to deal with what Michigan State's dealing with. It seems like the, the deck is stacked against them. However, there is a certain character roaming the sidelines in Alabama that always seems to be a wild card that wasn't there before. It's been well documented this year. There's been all sorts of crazy stories going around. One of the best stories that has to do with a gentleman named Lane Kiffin has to do with another guy named Joey Freshwater. And the legend of Joey Freshwater is one that we really should have shared several weeks ago during the Alabama week, but it's just as great now as it was then. And if you haven't heard of Joey Freshwater, I'm going to let Alan tell you the story sort of of the legend of Joey Freshwater. Uh, Alan, take us through the Joey Freshwater story. Uh, Okay, so I'm going to have to say up front, of course, this is all um, speculation, not speculation, uh, hearsay. Uh, There's no evidence to this. But it's run rampant around the internet. Um, all started really off the point to Clay Travis, you know, sports writer for Fox Sports, kind of putting this on the national scene. But he relates this story, kind of posted it from this guy who had put it on Reddit, where he was visiting his girlfriend in Tuscaloosa, and they were at this bar, and you know, it was really crowded. And one of the girls he was with, um, his girlfriend's friend, who he refers to in this post as Model Broad. Um, you know, knows some of the people who work there, uses some of her looks to get them, you know, kind of to a VIP type section. And as they get back there, he runs into this guy, you know, pretty large guy, 6'2", uh, covered head to toe in swooshes. And, you know, the guy who's relating the story is a little drunk, so he doesn't have all his wits about him. But as for the guy's name, he doesn't give it. And then they kind of keep her talking. The guy's a little bit full of himself, a little bit cocky and arrogant. Um, he keeps thinking to himself that he looks a lot like Daniel Tosh. Um, and then at the end, he asks him again his name. Uh, and the name that he gives out is, uh, you can call me Joey, or Joey Freshwater. And as they're leaving, they're kind of talking, and once he sobers up a little bit, uh, his girlfriend's friend says, did you not recognize that was Lane Kiffin? And so apparently all of the... I guess rumors or scuttlebutt is that Lane Kiffin likes to be a man about town in Tuscaloosa bars, picking up college chicks. And when he's out doing such activities, likes to use the alias of Joey Freshwater, which I loved. I think that's hilarious. Um, and so you'll see Joey Freshwater all over the internet. If you Google it, it'll come up a million times for you. Um, it's pretty fantastic, uh, whether it's true or not, but it feels like something that would be true of Lane Kiffin. <laughs> that's all that matters. It's like, 
Is it true? I mean, it seems kind of crazy, but the stories around Lane Kiffin are all. Are I all want it to be true. I want him when we came out this. Yeah, I want him to yeah, be wandering want, around. You want it to be. You do, and it, it's just so ridiculous. There's like all sorts of just funny Joey Freshwater memes and various things people have taken to too. But you, <laughs> you know, there was a crazy story midway through the year that he was like leaving Alabama and. ESPN is reporting on it, and all these rumors are flying around, and what's happening in, in Alabama, and why is that being nothing, and no one could even trace the rumor. So it's very possible this is the same thing, but for whatever reason, it's safe to say that drama always you know, flies around Lane Kiffin, yes. who we will now refer to exclusively as Joey Freshwater. So Joey Freshwater is on the sidelines wild in this card. game for Alabama, and he's a, he is a wild card. Clearly, Saban has control over him. He's reined him in. You know, you've, you've seen you've seen him run the ball 50 times a game in the last four or five games, so I think Nick Saban is winning the battle here. But Joey Freshwater had some, some pull over Nick Saban. For half the year, they threw the ball a lot. So clearly Nick Saban puts his trust in him. Maybe he's convinced him against against Michigan State that they should just run it every time. They should throw in some plays. I mean, just who knows? So with Joey Freshwater on the sideline, you never know. But it seems like as long as Coker takes care of business and kind of plays, uh, an average game, and look, the game he played against Florida was 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 not a good game. His numbers looked good because he threw up two jump balls that were floating ducks that became touchdowns. Same thing against Michigan State; that game could be closer down to the wire. So, it seems to me like Michigan State is being undervalued here, and Alabama is being overvalued. But it also seems to me like this is a game that Alabama could break sort of the spirit of a team that's maybe not quite as talented, but. It's going to be intriguing. It's going to be intriguing. And now that you know who Joy Freshwater is, is for the listeners out there, you have an added bonus as you're watching the game. You can Google and pick up some some, some sweet pictures of, of Joy Freshwater. Look for some uh, Joey Freshwater internet, jerseys you're... in the Alabama stands. I've seen those <laughs> on the internet. Yeah. yeah, they're there. And the Auburn fans love this more than anything. We have a great friend, Chris Musgrove, who, who just relishes. You, you tell him this story, and he's just immediately beaming ear to ear. He loves it. Like, the Auburn fans love this on their message board. So, always a good time in the state of Alabama with regards to their football. So, I'm going to go Alabama in this game. I think Alabama wins this game. I think they probably win either really, really, really close, they squeak it out, or I think they, they win by two scores. And it, It's the boa constrictor method. I, I don't know that it's maybe in between that. It feels like it's going to be – something closer than it should be or or something that's going to be, you know, distant enough. If I was a gambling man, I'd so, be tempted to take Michigan State if the spread got too big because I, I do think they can keep it close. But I would not bet on them to win outright by any means. Yeah, that's the, yeah, that's the scary thing, I think, with Michigan State is they've just had some games where they have no offense at all. And their defense has given up points to some of the, the – better power teams. And so there's a fear factor of kind of what's going to happen to them. And they obviously played just a horrifically ugly game against Iowa. Just a really, really ugly game. So you never know, though. Bowl games are their own beast. You have three weeks to practice. It's unlike any other game. Again, that probably helps Nick Saban. But you never know. You just never know. This time last year, a lot of people thought Alabama was going to, to crush Ohio State, and that turned out differently. So tune in. That'll be fun. That's going to do it for us for this week. We will return at our normal time next Monday, January 4th, where we'll break down the results of the very games we just talked about. Maybe we'll talk about some Joy Freshwater antics, assuming some happened. And then we'll set the table for the next stages of Gator football. We'll review our Gator bowl game and uh, kind of set the table for what's going to go on as we look into the recruiting windows and then beyond for Florida Gator football. 
We thank you for having you join us all 2015. Alan and I certainly have had a wonderful time doing this. We've loved that you've been with us every step of the way. Uh, we're not going anywhere. We've got several more shows to do. We look forward to an awesome 2016. As always, you can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Gator Nation FBTC. And we look forward to seeing you in 2016. Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer... This might be your new favorite. They're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants.